Please be seated. Well, some of you have been have know or are aware that Evelyn Grace made her appearance this week. So keep praying for Bill and Brooke as they uh, begin the journey of parenthood. And uh, so they have been anticipating and waiting. So now she is here. And so the joy of her presence, her cries, and all those other things are going to make life interesting and challenging, but also joyful. Now, we have been... Um, Looking to also do some meals and that kind of stuff. And if you, Melody, would you raise your hand? So that's Melody, just most of you know her. But if you are interested in helping to provide some meals for, for them, it, uh, for Bill and Brooke, I would ask you to just track a hold of Mel- grab a hold of Melody or say something to her. We've tried to coordinate some meals for them, but we're, we're glad to do a little bit more if you haven't had a chance, so we'll let you know. But just continue to pray for them. I don't know when she's going to make an appearance here, but, uh, but we're rejoicing with them and celebrating with them. Pray for them, and as we can provide for them, that would be great as well. Now let's pick up and look at Genesis real quick this morning. I want to take some time, and I want to start this morning by reading through Genesis chapter 3. Then we'll have a prayer, and then we'll start to jump into things. Let's do that. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. Excuse me. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Later on, we talk about the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. And a number of people talk about how those three things are just captured in this simple statement and simple observation that Eve made. And it says, so she took some of the fruit and ate it, and also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, Some of, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray and we'll, we'll jump into it. Father, over these next few moments, Lord, I'd ask that you would just guide our time. 
Father, as we take some time to look at your word, to think through it, and consider the, the, this pivotal moment in time captured here in Genesis 3. Lord, I would just ask that you would guide our time and help us through it. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you look in your bulletin, you're going to see some notes, and I'm just going to walk through that real quick. You're going to see a couple of things. You're going to see this uh, deception and choice that's going to take place in verses 1 to 6, and you're going to see consequences, and then you're going to just see that discovery and blame, the serpent and Satan, Eve, Adam, and then eviction. So you just kind of see that, and we're going to kind of walk through that this morning, and we're going to do that, not so much referencing the specific points, but we're going to do that this morning by walking through the text. So I just want to touch bases on that, give you a chance to see that, and encourage you to kind of follow along and take notes as as they fit and are relevant for you there. Now, as we kind of begin this journey... I want you to understand, we've, we've started this journey kind of looking at Genesis, and particularly as we're looking through the beginning portion of Genesis, and we've done that because we want to look at the foundations that exist. And again, as we did the series late in, earlier in the fall, that talks about people who were choosing to walk away from faith, who are choosing to depart from a relationship with God because... There was distance, there was space, and they chose to walk away. And so as we looked at that, we focused on some issues on that series, and we looked at some of the things that they would say, these are reasons why we've chosen to depart. But an underlying issue, kind of a foundational issue, is that they have departed from foundations, and they didn't understand foundation. They didn't understand basics in the conversation. And as we kind of begin this process, in particular as we kind of look at the events that are taking place in Genesis 3, I want you to notice how just, even in this context, Eve got disconnected from just the basics of the things that God communicated. And because she got disconnected just from the basics of the things that God communicated, it was so much easier to deceive, to twist, to distort, and to lead her away. And I want you to understand this. So often, Christians navigate and they walk away from faith. They walk away from God. They walk away from things that they, they were, grew up in or, or chose to accept at one point in time. And they walk away because they are dealing with misunderstanding, bad information. They have some poor foundations in areas that are not built correctly. They're built on faulty information. And when those things don't work... They will say, forget it. I'm walking away from God because I believe this and it doesn't work fully on this. And the problem is they're holding on to things that are flawed because it's not built on the right foundation. So let's, let's go back now. So we'll start walking through Genesis 3 and we'll see that right away. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, pause. Has anyone here ever had a conversation with a snake? No. Most of us, you know, we we might have conversations with our cats and dogs, but they don't answer us. You know, I've I've had I've had animals my entire life, my entire life. So growing up in dairy country, I've been around cows. We've had cows, we've had sheep, we've had chickens, um, we've, we had bunches of cats, we had a number of dogs, and it's interesting. All my life, I've been around animals. We even, right now, we have Lincoln. Lincoln's great, but I, there's something that I've never, ever had. You know, ever, anyone ever read Dr. Doolittle or see Dr. Doolittle, that kind of stuff? It was great, you know, and... I've never had this. I've never gone into the barn, gone up to the cow, say, hey, how you doing today? I'm doing good. <laughs> just never happened. You know, I've talked to the sheep, how you doing? Bad. You know, no, oh, that's poor humor. I'm sorry, that's really bad humor. <laughs> I've, never, I've, never, I've never had a critter talk to me and just come back and communicate and say, so how's your day going? You know, uh, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? I've been around animals my whole life. So one of the things we need to understand 
snake is talking, you know, that little, you ever see the snake and its tongue kind of flip out and kind of wiggle around and come back back in? He's talking to Eve. We got to understand, part of the conversation that's going on here, we're not just talking about the snake talking. There's something going on beyond it. Now there's another time in scripture where you see a, you see a donkey talk. But as that donkey talks and he says to Balaam, quit hitting me. It's not the donkey frustrated and annoyed at Balaam. It's ultimately God talking. And God's pronouncing some judgment. But it's because something is talking through it. And what's going on here is the evil one is working through the snake and is using the snake as a tool to deceive Eve. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The whole process begins with misdirection and deception. The whole process. Because he knows exactly what was said. And Eve kind of understands what was said. But everyone knows that this is not what was said. But the process begins with misdirection. Now I'm just going to say something real quick. In all of history, the evil one has not changed his tactics. He hasn't. He still deals with misdirection. He still introduces questions that seek to garner in us a tangent, a deviant, an off-track response. And it's designed to get us off-center. It's designed to draw us away from truth. It's designed to move us away from those places where there are clear and set foundations. And it's designed to bring us into areas where we are uncertain, unsteady, and where we can easily fall. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it. But now, this is where her flawed understanding kicks in. Or touch it. You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. She added a little bit. But think about it for a second. We would come back to these various things and say, what's the problem with adding a little bit or not really having it down and understood correctly? What's really the problem with that? Because she has added to what God had said. And so as she goes over the tree and then she touches it and she doesn't die, as she touches it, something significant does not happen to her. Now she is also questioning, is the rest of what he said also accurate or is it wrong? See, because she has misunderstood just the initial foundational statement of God. And it's encouraged her and enabled her to start taking a different deviant path than one God called them to. No. Satan says, you will certainly not die. First he starts with misdirection. And then he just flat out lies. You're not going to die. God lied to you. You're not going to die. You're going to be fine. You ever have someone tell you that? It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be good. There's not going to be a problem. And then... Everything blows up. Just flat out lies. First deception, misdirection, and then a flat out lie. 
In fact, in fact, continuing with the deceit, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Partially true, but also not fully true. Will they be exactly like God? No. They won't be exactly like God. Now, they will have learned the difference between good and evil. They will have learned that, and they will have now start to be exposed to that. But does God know the difference between good and evil? Absolutely. But is God tempted with evil? Does God do evil? No, but what's going on with Adam and Eve is now they will know the difference between good and evil, but now as they choose to step into that, they're not going to be able to choose the good that God wants them to do. They're going to be pushed in a direction that's going to lead them down a path of sin and push them down a path of alienation with God. So there's a part of this statement that's kind of true, but also a big part of this statement that's not really true at all. Now, what are some of the best lies to tell? The ones that have some truth in them, right? Now, come on, all of us have told lies. So don't sit there and look, I can't answer that one. I've got to be careful. I can't answer that one. <laughs> all of us have told lies. As a parent, it's been interesting watching my kids work at this and trying to get better at it. Pray for Bill and Brooke. They're just beginning that journey. No, Daddy, I didn't do that. I didn't touch it. It's sitting there broken. We all of us work on this. And we know this. The best lies to tell are the ones that have truth embedded. And hands down, the really, really best lies are the ones that are almost all true, except for just that little bit that gets us to get what we're really trying to get. Now, there's not really good lies. And there's not the such thing as kind of white lies and bad lies. They're all bad. There's not a good lie. And there's really not a best lie. But we recognize the whole process of deceit, and that's what's going on. Now, you'll open your eyes, will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. Less of the eyes, less of the flesh, pride of life. Now, all of this is bad. But this next statement makes it profoundly worse. So she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now just back up for a second. Eve is there having a conversation with the serpent. Adam is there with her. Mum. Silent. Lips sealed. No reaction. No response. Listening to this conversation. Saying nothing blows me away. 
He doesn't chip in and say, no, Eve, that's not right. God didn't say, and don't touch it. He just said, don't eat from the fruit or we'll surely die. And he doesn't correct, correct the statements that are being made. He just sits there and listens to the conversation as it unfolds and says nothing. And then his wife reaches out, grabs a piece of the fruit, chews it. And then she grabs another piece of fruit, she hands it to him, or maybe it's, this is really good, you should try some. And in that moment, boom, taking place, that moment in time, Adam is dealing with what do I do? You ever face those moments? You just hit that moment of time and you know that you're going to be choosing to either honor God or dishonor God. You know in this next moment you're either going to do something that you know is wrong or you're going to choose to do what you know is the right thing to do. And that's the moment for Adam right there. He's in the he's in the crucible of that. He's on the hot seat. He's in the moment right there. I need to choose. What am I going to do? Am I going to honor God? Am I going to do what God's told me? Am I going to listen to what God said? Or am I going to do something else? Now, for a bunch of years before I kind of maybe understood things maybe the way I do now I said to myself when I get to heaven I'm going to punch Adam in the nose (laughs) I don't think I will I think God will have finished rectifying my sinfulness and will finish the sanctification process so I won't be motivated at that point in time to punch Adam in the nose but I also got to say this I, I can't really say that I would have made a different choice God had made Adam and fashioned Adam and God had shown Adam all the animals of the earth and he, he, he had a chance to see that they came by two by two and he understood his need and his aloneness and that he was incomplete and then God made Eve and like, whoa, yes! Okay? Everything I need, the, 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 the other part of me, the part that helps to finish me, to complete me, to kind of make me full and whole. And he's kind of now looking at her. In my mind's eye, I kind of see her standing there with, with a little bit of juice kind of running down her cheek right here. And, and he's just looking at her like, what do I do? Because she's part of me. She's my other half. She's, she's I need her. What do I do? And he chose to eat. He made a choice to align with Eve and chose to disalign with God. He chose to disobey. This is the fulcrum point of history. All of history has pivoted on this moment. And Adam chose sin. Adam chose to not know and walk with God. Adam chose to disobey. Now, what we're not brought into is all of the motives and all of the thought process that was going through Adam's mind. But what we know is he chose to disobey God. While Eve was deceived, Adam chose to disobey. Now, also in this whole conversation, we need to remember, God specifically told Adam the details. Adam relayed the details to Eve. He knew. 
He was not confused. He chose disobedience. Now for me, in my, in my viewpoint, I look at verse 7, I think this is the beginning of the consequences of sin. Now some of our Bibles will probably start that in the next verse. And so when you see these chapter headings and these special little breakouts and that kind of stuff in your Bible, those are editor's notes. Those are not inspired notes. Those are editor's notes. In my viewpoint, I think the consequences of sin begin in verse 7. And as we start to look at the curse, I think there's probably two sets of things that are going on here. Number one, we have a set of consequences of sin that are just the natural outcome of the choices that are being made. So, I'll give you an example of that. When I was six or seven years old, I decided I was going to try to fly. I was convinced my brothers were speaking into my life at this point in time more powerfully. And um, they had also helped convince me that I could fly. And I had a scooter, a little red scooter. And um, so I started up at the top of the hill and we had, we, we had an old swimming pool next to our house. It was no longer functioning. It was, we had one of these big monster filters in our basement. And, but we had this old pool, this cement foundation pool. And it didn't work anymore. But we had a nice cement runway between the house and the pool, going off a drop-off, going into the backyard. And in the front of the house, we had a nice driveway, a nice hill coming down, and I was convinced that I could fly. So as this young man, I jumped on my scooter and I started to propel myself down the hill. I hit that concrete takeoff lamp point. I reached the end of that landing, that that launching zone, and I went flying into the air. (laughs) Out of that came a natural consequence. I landed on a rock. I had a pretty good concussion. I was in bed for a number of days. My scooter did not land well, was broken. It was the last time I rode my scooter. And soon after that, my dad filled in the pool with a bunch of dirt. And my scooter is still at the bottom of the pool, covered by dirt. (laughs) The natural consequence of my attempt to fly was a concussion. It's a natural consequence. There's a number of natural consequences, I think, that have come from Adam and Eve's decision to rebel, from Adam's decision to eat the fruit. Consequences of sin. But there were also choices that God made. Kind of like my scooter. My dad made a choice. I'm not going to fix that thing. He's trying to fly with it. It's gone. It got buried. Later on, I got a bike. I did jumps with my bike, but I didn't try to fly with my bike the same way again. But God made choices. So we have consequences that are natural, repercussions of choices that are made, but you also have consequences that are choices that God made. So let's start looking at this. And we start to see some specific consequences that are just some of those natural consequences of the choices that Adam and Eve made. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Because if you remember at the end of chapter 2, it says, God created them, he placed them in a garden, they were naked, and they felt no shame. That doesn't happen in our culture today. It doesn't happen anywhere, in any culture. We get dressed. We get clothed. It's a good thing. They knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. They were understood. They were naked. The beginning of the consequences start to kick in. They continue. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God. A consequence. A 
Brooke and Bill are going to start to discover other consequences of parenting. We've, if you have kids, you've discovered this. Our kids do stuff, and then they hide. You can't see me, then I can't get in trouble. You can't find me, then I don't get in trouble. They knew they did wrong. And now they're hiding from God. People are still hiding from God. They're still hiding. Oh, they don't do it quite the same way. They don't necessarily hide in bushes and trees and they don't try to cover themselves and hide under rocks or under branches. But we have many, many ways in which we seek to hide from God. But there's a consequence. There's an alienation that's taking place. A separation that's taking place. So the Lord God called out to that man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What's interesting, he tried to cover himself with fig leaves, but didn't cover himself very well, apparently. Then he said, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I had commanded you not to eat from? Now again, the whole parenting thing. If you're a parent, you've done this. You find something that your kids have done. And you say, come here. And you look at them. How did this happen? I don't know. Did you, mom and daddy have told you not to play with this? And mommy and daddy have told you not to touch this? Did you take it out and use it? Yes. Now, we look at that, we say this kind of cute. What's going on here is not cute at all. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Because mom and dad both are looking at stuff that's broken. Mom and dad are both looking at the things that the kids have done. They know fully well what the kids have done. The kids have no clue that mom and dad know what's going on. But mom and dad know exactly what's going on. And so mom and dad ask the questions and the kids are caught red-handed. And they go, yes, and they finally fess up and they own it. And that's exactly what's going on here. God knows exactly what's going on. They ate from the fruit of the tree. And again, consequence. We're still dealing with a consequence. Did you eat from this fruit of the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, It's your fault and her fault. The woman you gave me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. It's your fault and it's her fault. And again, in our world, it's still filled with people who are angry and ticked off at God, pointing fingers at God and pointing fingers at other people and blaming everyone else for the circumstances and the situation around them, but they're not owning the consequences of their own choices. It's your fault and her fault that I ate the fruit. So the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. He tricked me. That thing you made. He tricked me. The patterns aren't any different today. There's all sorts of finger pointing that goes on around us. Now, I've never just had one kid for very long, but I am told that even when there's one kid, there's make-believe kids that show up on the scene. But it's amazing, even as you have multiple kids, it's never the fault of the one. It's the finger-pointing always happens. Well, that's your fault. You left it out. I couldn't resist the temptation. You put it right there, and you didn't put it away, and so I played with it. Never personal responsibility. The patterns of sin continue today. 
We have some training in working with people to help people process through the process of reconciliation. And I love the, those apologies that are not apologies. Do you like those apologies? Ever heard, you ever hear those apologies? I'm sorry that you're offended. You know, I'm not sorry that I X, Y, Z did these things to you. I'm not sorry I lied to you. I'm not sorry I deceived you. I'm not sorry I behaved badly. I'm sorry you're offended. Trying to pass the buck, trying to avoid consequences, trying to avoid culpability. It's not really my fault. I really didn't do all of these bad things. It's really not my fault. Look around. It's all sorts of other stuff going on, but it's not really me. These patterns of behavior still exist. And they exist. They, we pick on our kids. We point on our kids because they're so obvious on our kids because our kids still have not yet become skilled at deceit. <laughs> we become much more skilled at deceit. So we watch our kids do it. It's kind of cute. It's kind of funny because it's so blatantly clear and they get caught so, so spectacularly. It's kind of fun. So one of my favorite conversations with Eugene talking about something in the car and, and I said to him at one point, he says, you know, well, when, when, when I get older, I'll hear about all the things you guys, you guys did that, I, that, you, that you got away with. Because I kind of look at my growing up and I look at some, some things with my, 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 my siblings in particular, they'll talk about some things that they did my parents had no clue of. And I'm having this conversation with Eugene and I said, well, I'm sure you'll tell us about the things that you, you were doing that you got away with. And he just kind of looked out the window and said to himself, I don't get away with nothing. I kind of enjoyed that conversation. I still, still have fun with that one. But we get away with stuff and we do things because we're deceitful. We hide, we sneak, we, we misstate, we twist, we turn, we dodge, we weave. If we do that as adults, as we watch our kids do, we've just become more sophisticated and better at it. But the patterns still exist. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal, that you will move on your belly and eat the dust all the days of your life. And so we look at snakes today and they don't have any feet, don't have any legs, they move on their belly. But then he goes on to that part, and as I think of the whole series that we're looking at, the foundations of hope, this is really the fulcrum point of that conversation. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Every theologian who's a, who's a Christian theologian will look back through scripture and will look at this and, and say, this is the point in time where God began the promise of, of a redeemer. This is the beginning of the promise that God is going to provide a solution for the issue of sin because the reality is God is not ultimately talking to the snake here. He's talking to the evil one. And the evil one's objective is to destroy. The evil one's objective is to move us away from a relationship with God. The evil one wants to separate everyone and everything from God. The reality of what's going on here is God is saying, listen, you're going to be defeated. You're going to be conquered. The seed of woman, you're going to strike his heel but he will crush your head. He will defeat you. Now, I've killed a number of snakes. The most uh, spectacular snake-killing moment that I saw was when I was at the camp and at the church we, I was a part of up in North Jersey. We ran a day camp throughout the summer. And on our property, we had a stream-fed swimming hole. It was a great swimming area, and it was one of the kids. The kids loved it, and it was like a huge pool. The water came down the hill, came through, and out the back. But because it was stream-fed and natural-fed, periodically we would get snakes in the swim hole. And we had some wood boardwalks and some wood areas around, and they would kind of sneak back up in there, and sometimes they would come out and, you know, the lifeguard, tweet, 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 blow the whistle, all the kids out of the water. Well, this occurred one day. One of the snakes came out 
and started swimming on water. And by the way, just about every snake knows how to swim. You may not think that, but just about every snake knows how to swim, and just about every snake can strike from being on the water. They can't. They don't have to be on land. They can strike even in the water. Well, one of the young gals who was one of our counselors, she was a, had parents were missionaries in South America. She lived out in a bush and in a jungle for a period of time. She saw this snake. She went skipping across the dock, grabbed the snake, and went whack, 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 whack <laughs> on the side of the boardwalk. <laughs> just amazing. Just like, boom, this instinct of jumping in, running across, and just grabbing it, and whack, 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 whack. She crushed that thing's head. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is crushing the head of Satan. He defeats him. He's destroying him. He kills him. He, He destroys him. He defeats his power. He conquers him. Now, in that process, did he strike his heel? Now, this girl did not get bit. She was really good. And she got him. Jesus is bit. We know that he goes to the cross and he dies in our place. And he takes our sin upon himself. He takes our consequences upon himself. But this is the beginning of the promise of an answer, of a solution to the problem that Adam and Eve just created. The day hasn't passed. The evening is not yet done. And the conversation with God had just started. And God is providing a solution to the consequence of sin. The answer and solution is coming. It's in Jesus, the seed of the woman. Not the seed of the man, the seed of the woman. He continues. He said to the woman, I will identify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband and he, yet he will rule over you. I've heard various people talk about this at different times and they will say a a multitude of different things. But one of the study Bibles that I, I look at and said something really good and I think really captured what I believe is the essence of what's going on here in this particular curse. He, he makes this statement. It's the ESV Study Bible. He says, Similar, similarly, the ongoing result, I'm reading the, in their notes, so the ongoing result of Adam and Eve's original sin of rebellion against God will have disastrous consequences for their relationship. Eve will have a, the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. But then Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. Thus one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is an ongoing, damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage, driven by the sinful behavior of both of both in rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage. Now again, we come back to this whole conversation. And this is, I think, this is really a very accurate capturing of things that take place and the tension that exists. Because when we look at the foundations, when we look at the truth of what is being established, God has given leadership to Adam. And the man was created first, and God has created a structure, he has created an order. But because of sin, we rebel and we fight against, and, we, and even in our culture, even as I were to say that, There are people in our culture that would cringe because it's so male-dominant. And it's so wrong in our cultural worldview to lean in such an inappropriate or biased way. And that's not the intent. But God has created order and God has created structure. And God has created framework. Things don't function well if there's not structure and there's not framework. There's a reason why we have one president in our country instead of two. Because as the saying goes, the buck needs to stop someplace. The decision needs to stop at someone's desk. 
And in all the processes of leadership, usually ultimately it boils down to one place where decisions are made when finally everything comes to, to a point. There may be a series of decisions, but, but there's always a place in the process where the decision is finally made if it can't be made at a lower part in the process. But we resist and we fight against the framework and the structures that God has given, and that's a consequence of sin. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the fruit of plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you, have, until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. I enjoy gardening, but I do know this. It does take work, and there's always weeds. I will get done planting the garden. It's beautiful. And a week later, I have to go out and pull weeds. And it'll look great. And I'll go out a few days later. And i got to pull weeds. All summer long, I've got to pull weeds. All summer long, I've got to care for the garden. All summer long, I've got to water. I've got to nurture what's going on. I need to prop things up. Because it takes work. We'll finish this last bit. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from the skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. We'll talk more about that next week. The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out to take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. Pause for that for a second. It's really important that we don't, we don't eat from that tree. Now, I look at so much of life, and from my context, there's a lot about life that's really good, but there's also a lot about life that's really bad. But I don't want to be set in a sinful way. One of the things that I am grateful for is the redemptive work that God has done. And I understand and appreciate the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and as Jesus died on the cross for my sins, he's taken my sins away as I put my faith and trust in him, and he has applied his righteousness to my life. But I also understand that I am still on a journey where I am seeking to become who Jesus wants me to be, but I haven't gotten there yet. And one day I'm going to close my eyes for the last time, I'm going to wake up in eternity, and at that point in time... Jesus is going to have finished the process of helping me to become like him and sin will no longer be a problem. But God did not want the process and the pattern of sin established for eternity. God wants us to be able to have victory over sin. And that's why Jesus came. And that's how come we were blocked from the tree of life. So the Lord God sent him, sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed a cherubim and a flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to, to guard the way to the Tree of Life. And Adam was removed because God also understood Adam was not going to resist temptation again. He was going to continue to give in to temptation. Just as we still give in to temptation. Do we do it every time? No. But we still give in to temptation. And so God removed Adam from the place that he could no longer be. Now, foundations are important. Understanding our foundations and understanding the whys of what God is doing and how the things God is doing, they are really important. They protect us. They protect the decisions we make. They protect the path that we take in our life. We talked about this last week. We asked the question, part of why is part of, what is some of the reason why God has, is giving us the book of Genesis? In particular, God was giving this to the nation of Israel as they were leaving Egypt and as they were leaving Egypt to become a nation, as they, as they were entering into being the people of God. 
Why was God giving them the book of Genesis? And by transition, why did God give us the book of Genesis? I think a major part of this is to help them to shape and understand a worldview where they could start to understand who God is, what God is like, and what God is doing so that they could then interact with their world better. So they could interact with their world well. So that as temptation or worldviews or attitudes were communicated and expressed, they would have a foundation, they would have an understanding of what God was doing so that they would know how to react and to respond in a God-honoring way. And I think God is doing the same thing for us as we walk through the process of Genesis to lay foundations in our life so we can start to understand who God is, what God is doing, so that we can then process and live life in a way that honors him and so that we avoid making mistakes. Eve added and can't touch it either. She had a flawed understanding. She had a flawed worldview. And it led to her being deceived. We need to guard ourselves so that we are not setting ourselves up to be deceived. But rather so that we can walk well and walk wisely and walk carefully and walk intentionally in the ways that God has put before us. Now part of the great news is that God has promised a Redeemer. And now as we stand at this point in history, we recognize and we see who that Redeemer is. It's Jesus. And we know that Jesus went to the cross and he died on that cross and he took our sin upon himself. And we understand scripture when it says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And as we come to God by faith and put our faith and trust in Jesus, God applies to our lives the finished work of Jesus. It's amazing. It's kind of cool. I'm not sure that fits, but. <laughs> the good news is that we get to sit here. I, you know, I'm not good enough to plan stuff like this. I'm just not. You know, some people will sit down and plan stuff and say, we're going to, you know, it's communion Sunday. We'll plan communion Sunday for when we get to Genesis 3. I wasn't good enough to do that. It's just kind of cool that God kind of coordinated it that way. But it's kind of cool that here we are talking about the reality of sin in the presence, in the beginning of sin. And then today we also get to celebrate Jesus and honor Jesus as we celebrate the solution for sin. Jesus is the solution. We're going to partake. And if anyone has not yet receive one of these cups. Just wave your hand. Vicky's in back and she'll kind of walk forward and help you get one. Does anyone need a communion cup who hasn't gotten one yet? Okay. So what I would encourage you to do at this point in time is just open that first little part top and take out